Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Devin. And with you, the listeners, we are paying homage to arguably the biggest name in horror fiction when we count down your top Stephen King novels on this episode of Books in the Freezer. Hey, it's Chris Sorensen. I am sitting in my audio booth trying to figure out what Stephen King to offer up. I don't think this is a fair question to ask anybody. I'm surprising myself because I thought I was going to go with The Shining. I really like the way that he warps reality in that one. But uh, when I really think about it, I've got to go with Night Shift. I just remember walking around the college campus uh, with that paperback, reading those little morsels of terror in between classes. Strawberry Spring, The Mangler, I Am the Doorway. Uh, Those are the stories that introduced me to Stephen King, and so I'm just going to stick with that one. So it is our Stephen King episode. Yay! And we realize maybe not many of you have heard of him. We thought we would talk a little bit about who is this Stephen King? Just in case you're not familiar with horror fiction in any way, shape, or form and have lived under a rock for the past, oh, what, 40 years, give or take? Stephen King is, by and large, the single most common name you're going to hear if you ever have a conversation with anybody about horror novels. Um, He has published over 70 novels, over 200 short stories, and is by far one of the most prolific authors in the genre especially in the early days of publishing he sold his first short story in 1967 he had his first novel published in 1973 and has been writing like a madman ever since that is true i think i mentioned in one of the episodes leading up to this that i feel like i can never consider myself a stephen king expert just because he's written so much stuff and he keeps writing so much stuff i feel like i'm never going to catch up he was writing at a time when authors didn't really publish more than a book a year mm-hmm. um his his thirst for writing was so voracious that he did what some what a lot of other authors also began to do is create a pen name and write other stories under a different name so he can do multiple ones each year um so yeah 70 novels in his lifespan is insane, especially when you look at the length and you look at the girth of these of these titles. So is that the reason for the Richard Bachman novels? Yes. Um, basically, publishers back then wouldn't necessarily be comfortable publishing more than a book a year. Um, I'm not sure necessarily if it's because they didn't think, you know, if you publish more than one, it would diminish its quality or they just didn't want to, you know, rush a bunch of stuff out and oversaturate the market. But yeah, basically, that's what a lot of authors started to do. They went under pen names to write in other genres, to write for other companies, to put in more books, because especially early in the career, you can't necessarily make a living wage um, by publishing a single book per year, even with a, a pretty good advance. And for those of you who do not know, Stephen King is Joe Hill's dad. Actually, both of his sons are authors and... Yeah, he's written with both of them because he wrote Sleeping Beauties with Owen. And then he released the story in the tall grass with Joe Hill earlier this year. Aside from the uh, literary merits, he is without a doubt, if you know anything about him, a family man first and foremost. Um, He attributes a lot of his success to his wife, 
Tabitha, keeping him in line and being his strongest supporter. Um, they have been married since 71, two years before his first novel came out. Um, and again, he does obviously have close ties with both, both of his sons, who have also entered the literary field. He also has a daughter who is a minister. Famously, he really early in his career had a bit of a uh, drinking problem, and that has been well documented. It has been mentioned in his own writing, and he has been very candid about it, his experiences with it as well. And um, there, there are people that have said they can see the difference between, you know, pre and post drug addiction Stephen King writing. Um, I'm not really one of them. Well, we'll be talking about the first novel he published after getting sober this episode. Yes. And yeah, like it's it would be impossible for us to give a full rundown of everything you should know about Stephen King if you're a fan of horror um, in this episode without it being three hours long. And also because Devin and I are nowhere near Stephen King experts. Yes. <laughs> as has been documented. So I, I am a fan of his work. Uh, I respect his legacy and his contribution to the genre, but I'm severely underread when it comes to actually reading the titles um, that he's put out. I, I feel like I've read at least enough to consider myself an average fan. And I think Steph has read more than I have, but yeah, he he has such a such a huge library, and there's so much so much to dive into about him that unless you could be a, a, a Stephen King historian, and that could actually be a full time profession at this point, he's done so much. So, Seth, how about you? What uh, what some of your um, experiences when it comes to King? So, as I've mentioned in this podcast, my parents were really religious and strict when I was growing up so I was definitely not allowed to read Stephen King like that was probably the one thing that was like he was probably one of the big authors that was a no-no weirdly they did let me read Goosebumps and Fear Street and had no issue with that but Stephen King was like no (laughs) um so the first Stephen King book I read was The Shining while I was pregnant with my son and I actually as I've mentioned before, read a lot of it to him out loud because I was reading about the benefits of mothers reading to their children in utero. And I was like, well, this is what I'm reading at the moment. So that's pretty good, right? So uh, I will need suggestions for what to read to the current child that I'm pregnant with. So you can hit me up with like, what should be the next Stephen King book that my child gets read to? (laughs) So yeah, it started with The Shining and I've read uh, a handful of titles since then, and I've had varying experiences coming from like love to not enjoyed so much. So a lot of people that we've had as guests on the show talk about reading Stephen King books off their parents' shelves or growing up and reading them when they were children, and that was not my <laughs> not my story. It's funny you say that because my experience, my my earliest experience with King is simply taking a copy of a Stephen King book from my bookshelf and reading it as a young child. Do you remember which one it was? I want to say it was it. I really do. But honestly, I was so young, I cannot remember exactly. Because I had it and I had Eye of the Dragon. Um, Carrie was on my shelf. A lot of times I probably didn't even read them because they were probably a lot more advanced than I should have been reading at the time anyway. So I think it's just I was reading but not comprehending what I was reading. But I'm pretty sure it was it. Because I remember 
the small black mass market paperback with with Georgie's boat on the cover by the storm drain. And I remember looking find how cool that picture is and having and just taking that book and going through it. And like this was a period of time when it's like, this book is boring. I'm gonna read some more Arl Stein. Because <laughs> I couldn't follow it. Um Fun fact on that, I actually uh for the longest time thought Arl Stein and Stephen King were the same person. <laughs> yep. I thought all horror stories were written by basically the same person. <laughs> it was great. But no, as as I get older to the point where I can comprehend these kind of stories, it definitely was the first Stephen King book that I read because uh, I read it in high school as well. And yeah, like my my experiences with Stephen King, not so much the the origin of him, but just how King has affected me later in life. Um, I will be very candid with everybody right now, and I have been very candid when it comes to King as for as long as I've been on the podcast that. I am not necessarily a big fan of his most recent work. And there is a thing in publishing where a book gets put into the horror section simply because it's written by Stephen King. That does somewhat aggravate me a little bit. Like when I see drama, when I see like other stuff that he branched off and known, which is amazing books like Shawshank Redemption that in the, the short story collection, um, The Green Mile, things like this, which are good books but are not horror, but are put in horror because of Stephen King, I get a little bitterness because I'm so protective of the horror genre myself. However, that's not to speak to the man that's publishing. So when it comes to King, he has had an impact on me, not just in the, the genre that I enjoy, but when it comes to my own passions, one of the most influential books I've read by King was his nonfiction on writing, which it's, it's kind of a cliche thing now to say, oh, if you're a writer, read on writing because it's a great tool to help you get become a better writer which it's not it's mostly anecdotal stuff him talking about his life and his journey of being a writer before reading on writing i always thought you had to know exactly where your story was going beginning middle end plot it out and have it pretty detailed and then write it like that and i've always found writing boring that way in on writing when he gets to the section where he talks about his process and he describes writing as a like a fossilized creature in the dirt and your job as a writer is to just brush away the sand and reveal it all he's very discovery writer that way like he knows how his characters will respond to things how they will react how they how they will naturally respond to things that happen in the story and then he just writes it and sees what happened and this is how i started learning that discovery writing and writing without an outline is actually a viable thing and not just viable but the stephen king has this approach to it as well so it was very encouraging for me which got me starting in my own passions of of writing and and trying to produce literature as well so yeah king i have a very love-hate relationship with stephen king (laughs) basically is what i'm getting down to i think he's one of the best storytellers um in the genre not necessarily the best writer but definitely definitely really amazing storyteller probably one of the best of our generation do you want to hear something funny? <laughs> well, it's not like crazy, but you know, growing up with his books always being forbidden, I kind of created this idea in my head that Stephen King was this like really creepy person. <laughs> and then I watched the Adam Sandler movie, Mr. Deeds, and he's talking about like the small town he lives in. And, you know, there's a joke where he said, oh, the the guy that runs the gas station, one time Stephen King stopped there to get gas. He's like, the gas station attendant went home and lost 80 pounds that night 
And I was like, is he like this ethereal, just like spooky, scary guy? I mean, just like growing up really sheltered and knowing like nothing about him. That was my idea of the man. (laughs) That is awesome. Oh, my God. And a very good reference to Thinner, which did not make our list. Yeah, it's not not a favorite. I'm so heartbroken. Do you like that that one? Thinner? I, I love Thinner. Which is funny. And my parents now are so different. Like, my mom loved Hereditary and went to go see Midsummer by herself. So, not the same at people who raised me. <laughs> <laughs> you converted them, Steph. Good job. I think so. Well, they they had a thing where they would watch horror movies, but they wouldn't say it's horror. They're like, it's suspense. <laughs> like, okay. And uh, my dad put in his vote for Gerald's Game, having only seen the adaptation. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad said, too, when he was... When I was telling him I was doing this episode, he said that when he was stationed in Alaska one winter, he was reading a collection of Stephen King's short stories and that his favorite was The Library Policeman. I don't know which collection it's in, but he he said that was his favorite and that it was a very spooky experience reading in a cabin on a cold Alaskan winter. So before we get into the picks... Um, Steph, would you like to break down for everybody how we got to where we are? So we're going to be counting down your favorite Stephen King novels. And this was, of course, put up to a vote. I put the voting options in our Goodreads group on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook comments. So all social media. So that is where I got the numbers from. So all of these are what you decided, you the listener. Before we get into the list... There were some uh, a number of honorable mentions we would like to uh, just highlight briefly, and that would be Under the Dome, Christine, which surprises me it's not further on the list, uh, The Long Walk, which is a Richard Bachman title, and The Dead Zone. Four of these were basically tied for 15th place, but we only really took the top 14 for the, the list, so they literally would just miss it by a single vote. <laughs> All right, so coming in at number 14. There ain't no power in heaven or on earth that can stop people from thinking the worst when they want to. Dolores Claiborne. This one surprises me. So this is a book that gets recommended to me a lot because of my love for Gerald's Game and because of how the two stories are connected. So I've been really meaning to pick this one up but yeah i know what you mean it's surprising that this one was up this high but people came to bat for it yeah this one also not to be that guy but this one also has an amazing adaptation uh with kathy bates playing the main character so i didn't even know this was a stephen king book until recently because but i knew the movie really well so kathy bates plays two big stephen king characters yes So this was published in 1993, and the for those of you who do not know what it is about, the plot is, suspected of killing Vera Donovan, her wealthy employer, Dolores Claiborne tells police the story of her life, hearkening back to her disintegrating marriage and the suspicious death of her violent husband, Joe St. George, 30 years earlier. Dolores also tells of Vera's physical and mental decline, and of her loyalty to an employer who has become emotionally demanding in recent years. Is that basically the gist of it? Uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, so people who came to bat for it, we have Regina from the Goodreads group who says, uh, Dolores Claiborne, 
The novel was written in one chapter, and it's all her voice. She is probably the most realistic character in his Rolodex. Dolores had a hard life, and I lived it right alongside of her. I could read it over and over. And then Tightrope to the Sun replied, I love Dolores Claiborne too. I think it's seriously underrated in the King universe. So again, you can always let us know if you believe this is true, or if you have love for Dolores Claiborne that you would like to share with us. Considering what's what was not on this list the fact that Dolores Claiborne was on 14 actually was fairly surprising but I ain't saying it doesn't belong here because it it's a solid pick so this brings us to number 13 I see things that's all right enough stories and every shadow on the floor looks like a footprint every line in the dirt like a secret message this is bag of bones bag of bones does indeed feel like a, a more recent king uh title I know it's gotten quite a bit of notoriety and, and popularity, but it is one that I probably know the least about. It's one that's constantly on my radar and constantly being told to me I need to read it, but I have not been able to get around to it yet. After the sudden death of his wife, Mike Noonan decides to move back to their lake house in his hometown. He finds that his town held in the grip of a powerful millionaire who is trying to take his three-year-old granddaughter from her widowed mother, Maddie. Mike becomes involved in this struggle and the mystery of Sarah laughs. Now, the site of escalating terrors, ghostly visions, and a cure for writer's block. What do they want from Mike? So this is one I've actually seen the adaptation for, but not read the book. <laughs> so it's like one of those things where I'm like, I've seen it. I feel like I know what happens. So it hasn't been that high up on my need to read list. Listeners, if the adaptation was missing a lot of things and i absolutely need to get my hands and read this of course please let me know bag of bones and i think another reason why i'm so familiar with the title but not the book is that uh this came out a year before he published on writing so there is actually a decent amount of stuff in on writing that he's talking about oh when i was writing bag of bones oh when i was doing bag of bones it's mentioned at least a dozen times in my life there are so many things that circle back to telling me Devin, read Bag of Bones. So I will be doing that shortly. But it is number 13, a very popular title. And what more can we say? We'll, 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 we'll get back to you guys. In the- Coming in at number 12. Mind over matter in any form is a terrific drain on the body's resources. Carrie. Here's one we know. What's it about, Steph? This is the story of a misunderstood high school girl, Carrie White, her extraordinary telekinetic powers, and her violent rampage of revenge, which remains one of the most barrier-breaking and shocking novels of all time. This is it. This is the novel that started it all. Published in 1973, this was his first real big payday as an author, the first published novel. First one with a nice size advance, gave him the boost he needed to be a writer. This is the one that gave us the king basically um yeah so this whether whether you like the novel or not you can't deny like i said this is this is his his first great step into the world of publishing this is what got stephen king his foot in the door to becoming the the household name that he is and anecdotally this is a book that almost didn't happen because he threw this in the garbage and wasn't going to do anything with it. He was going to trunk this book um, until his wife kind of read it and smartened him up to it. 
So in uh, the mid seventies, mid seventies, late seventies, um, this was synonymous with like Stephen King with horror, um, mainly on the back of one of probably the greatest horror movies of all times, which is the adaptation for Carrie. Uh, with uh, with Sissy Spacek playing the title role. I've also seen the adaptations for this. <laughs> I think the only adaptation I haven't seen is the 2013 Chloe Grace Moretz one. But I watched the TV movie with Angela Bettis. And of course, I watched the 1976 Sissy Spacek classic. Weirdly, I watched that movie a lot my senior year of college in my dorm. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> This this is one of the movies that as a child I was not allowed to watch. This and like The Exorcist and probably a couple of others. Really? Um yeah. Yeah. Not so much of oh it's horror and it's bad, but my parents just, you know, you were too young to watch this kind of thing. And I didn't understand a lot of the more uncomfortable shocking things that happened in the beginning of this movie. The plug it up scene? Yes. Okay. <laughs> When I did watch this movie, I was too young to actually understand what the hell was going on. So maybe they were right. But yeah, this one has, it has legacy. It has an, an iconic status within the horror genre. So um, this one I actually admittedly thought would be higher on the list than it was. Do you know what Norma calls her? Scary white. Don't you love it? <laughs> so for those of you who aren't nerds like me, that is from the Broadway musical adaptation. Doesn't anybody ever get it right? Carrie! Why don't they remember I am Carrie White? Carrie! In 1988, that was uh, famously in the history of Broadway, one of the biggest flops of all time. Um, but it was revived in 2012 and 2015, and I think it does have a bit of a cult following, and I will admit... Some of the songs are still on my musicals playlist, so. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was uh, that was Carrie, Carrie number twelve on our list, and that brings us to number eleven. The world had teeth, and it could bite you with them anytime it wanted. Hi, my name is Erica Robin, and my favorite book by Stephen King is *The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon*. It's my favorite book by him because it doesn't matter where I am, if I'm taking a hike through the mountains in New Hampshire or just in my backyard, anytime I see woods, I just think of this poor girl in the book and what she had to go through, and it just totally creeps me out. I highly recommend it to everybody. The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. This is another one that got quite a bit of love. Um, admittedly, I want to correct myself. This is the one on the list I'm going to know the least about. I see the title, and again, on, until getting on books in the freezer, I didn't realize of the book "The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon" was a horror novel by Stephen King. <laughs> it it just doesn't sound it doesn't sound as such. So please, Steph, if you wouldn't mind, can you enlighten me into what this title is about? Nine-year-old Trisha McFarland strays from the path while she and her recently divorced mother and brother take a hike along a branch of the Appalachian Trail, lost for days. Wandering farther and farther astray, Trisha has only her portable radio for comfort. A huge fan of Tom Gordon, a Boston Red Sox relief pitcher, she listens to baseball games and fantasizes that her hero will save her. Nature isn't her only adversary, though. Something dangerous may be tracking Trisha through the dark woods. That sounds awesome. I really like that. Yeah, this is pretty high up on my list. So this came out in 2005, so it is 
again, not not a new book, but more of the more recent Kings. That sounds really cool. So 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 she's she's basically lost in the wilderness and fantasizes about this Tom Gordon guy. Abby from the Goodreads group says, I think the Stephen King book that scared me the most and my most under the radar favorite is The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. It's about a little girl who gets lost in the woods while hiking with her family. I'm an avid hiker and could feel it in my bones how terrifying her situation was even before the supernatural hijinks started. That sounds awesome. That actually legitimately sounds really cool. And number 11, that is that is considerably high on the list. Oh, yeah. I know this is a favorite uh, among a lot of people and a lot of book podcasts I listen to. People are always praising this, but I didn't think it would get as much love as it got like i'm shocked it got higher than carrie or christine like christine didn't even place true i'm still not sure how i feel about that (laughs) coming in at number 10 everyone loves something for nothing even if it costs everything hey books in the freezer it's spencer over at baker street shelves on instagram and twitter i just wanted to say that my favorite stephen king book is needful things because it's small town horror All the characters are very interesting, and they all have their separate plots that all tie in together, and the villain is super charismatic, yet super evil, and it has extremely over-the-top deaths. Hope hope you like it. Bye. 40 seconds, one Stephen King title. Are you mad? I would say for me, if I had to choose one title, easily it would be Needful Things. The premise is perfect. The world is full of needy people who don't understand that everything, everything is for sale. If you're willing to pay the price. So how much are you willing to pay? Five decades, well over 70 titles. Hell, we're nearing 80. And he has managed to bring in multiple characters that interlace and interweave into his stories. I'm just so grateful that he has chosen to share his imagination with each of us. Needful things. I love this book. I have seen the adaptation. (laughs) I really like this book and I am thrilled that it's in the top 10. I am not going to lie. Needful Things um, is something that was actually in the running multiple times for the the book club I was going to pick because I just wanted to read this book. I, I love I love this premise. So enlighten us, Devin. What is that premise? Well, Steph, Leland Gaunt opens a new shop in Castle Rock called Needful Things. Anyone who enters his store finds the object of his or her lifelong dreams and desires. A prized baseball card, a healing amulet. In addition to a token payment, Gaunt requests that each person performs a little deed. Usually a seemingly innocent prank played on someone else from town. These practical jokes cascade out of control and soon the entire town is doing battle with itself. Only Sheriff Alan Pangborn suspects that Gaunt is behind the population's increasingly violent behavior. This this is literally, you know, the devil opens up shop and offers you what you want at a price that you don't understand. And it just escalates and escalates and escalates. And as far as the premise of this story, I am absolutely enamored with it. I don't know why I haven't read it yet, but I'm dying to read this. Yeah, like I said, this is one of my favorites. I love the premise. And as I have mentioned before, as is well documented, I love stories about people turning on each other. (laughs) And just the level, it keeps escalating and escalating. And I remember when I read this, just that first instance of violence is just, 
I mean, you go into a Stephen King book, you kind of know what you're expecting, but I still, I thought it was jarring and great. Um, this is, of course, where we get introduced to Alan Pangborn, which if you watch the Castle Rock series, he is in that. So um, yeah, just great. I also love the opening to this book. May I read it since this is basically an indulgent Stephen King episode? <laughs> Go for it. Oh, like the first page says you've been here before. Sure you have. Sure. I never forget a face. Come over here. Let me shake your hand. Tell you something. I recognized you by the way you walk, even before I saw your face. You couldn't have picked a better day to come back to Castle Rock. And it just, it goes on and on. Right now, it's October. And in the Rock, we let October stay just as long as she wants to. And it's just like this really folksy second person opening. And I just felt like I knew this town, you know? That's what King does really well is world build. Like Derry, Castle Rock, like all, and how they intertwine. Um, you can like Castle Rock as as a town fits into so many of his other books. Yes, I know you could definitely, as a a reader and historian, you know, scholar of Stephen King, you could really get very corkboard red string about all his books. <laughs> yeah, like Cujo takes place in uh, Castle Rock. In Sleepwalkers, apparently when the sheriff calls for backup, they call Castle Rock. Sleepwalkers. That's a movie. It's Actually, it's only a movie. It's like Rose Red is like that too, right? Yeah. yeah. I heard a rumor that was supposed to be the original script for The Haunting. Rose Red, really? The Catherine Zeta-Jones, Liam Neeson, Owen Wilson. Again, that's a rumor. I don't know if that's true. No, I just love, I love the be careful what you wish for stories when it comes to horror and this was the first novel that stephen king wrote after getting sober so if you i guess it would be a fun exercise to read this after reading one of his earlier works and just you know see the difference because apparently there is a difference so yes a lot of you had a lot of love for this book which made me happy uh regina from the goodreads group says needful things i haven't read it in years and do for a reread but i love how we get to know the people in the town and how leland manipulates them all it was gruesome and for me full of tension two words come to mind when i think of this novel pure chaos and it was fantastic hard agree regina and laura says i do have to agree that needful things is my favorite of his town format books I think this isn't popular. I think this is an unpopular opinion. The ending is not a favorite of mine, but I love the depth of the characters and the spiral the shop sends them into. That brings us down to basically uh, the top nine that we will get into next time, starting with a favorite of mine. But it's basically the top ten since there is a tie. Then we get into some of the heavy hitters of of the King bibliography. Oh man! And Davin and I were talking earlier. The top three. It was a tight race. Oh my god. Literally the top three could have gone yeah. either way. Like it's so it's so close. And there's a like I said, one of Steph's favorites is in the top ten. Um as well as one she's um a little cooler on. Uh as has been documented in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but as I mentioned, it's an unpopular opinion and I know a lot of people like the book. So we will talk about this next time. <laughs> I encourage, before we end here, everybody listening to go to Twitter, go to Instagram, go wherever you, you contact with us, and give us your predictions for what the top three is going to be. Yes. I would love to see if anybody can actually pick the top three. One of them was kind of surprising for me. So yeah, let us know what your predictions are. That brings us to Chilling Obsession, Steph. I have a show on Netflix called Marianne. 
It's a French series. I'm always doing stuff when I'm watching TV, like I'm folding laundry or doing something where I can't pay explicit attention and read subtitles. So I am listening. I am watching the dubbed version of it. Uh, but a lot of people recommend doing the watching it in the original French and just reading subtitles. So if you can do that, I recommend that's the way to go. Um, but So this follows a successful French horror writer named Emma. Um, who is confronted by an old friend from her hometown at a book signing and tells her that the the stuff from her books is real and that she needs to come home immediately, which is like one of my favorite premises. Like someone has to go back to their hometown where they came from and face some evil is just like always going to work for me every time. <laughs> That's a Steph story for sure. Like I watched the first episode because I saw it recommended a lot in one of the Facebook groups that I'm in and it was 10 minutes and I'm like, I'm in. I am so in on this. <laughs> so we follow that and I will say this show is legitimately creepy. It's got frightening visuals it's got jump scares and it's fantastic i recommend everyone check it out um so yeah we are following her her and her agent go on a road trip to go back to her hometown and visit the mother of the woman who confronted her at her book signing and yeah she's learning that a lot of the stuff from her stories might not be fiction so that is marianne on netflix and let me know if you watched it in French or the dubbed version. Oh, and I do see the series getting compared to Stephen King a lot. So it does kind of tie into this episode. So, all right. So my chilling obsession is going to be the video game equivalent to what Steph just described for you. <laughs> sort of. Um, this is a game called Alan Wake. Uh, it originally came out back in 2010, but uh, it does. it's got a couple of remasters. Uh, you can get it on PC now. Um, this is a very, if anybody has like following my game recommendations for Chilling Obsessions, it's part of the course. It's a very story-based, narrative-driven kind of game, um, where you play Alan Wake. He's a thriller author, um, who is suffering from writer's block. And so he goes to this little hamlet of a town called Bright Falls. And the the idea is that it's supposed to be get, get the creative juices flowing again. So again, it's a very Stephen King-esque kind of story but it's very psychological he starts having these nightmares about these shadowy figures his wife goes missing literally he hears her like crying for help and screaming and then um she's pulled into the lake and that's most of the game most of the game is trying to figure out what's going on being attacked by these shadowy folk these weird creatures usually armed with just like a flashlight for them, a lot of it um it's very very creepy very eerie and very fitting for what we're talking about today um it may be nine years old but has aged very well the the graphics are still pretty pretty solid and yeah it's a fun psychological trip <laughs> you can go on and all around fun time so my chilling obsession this week is Alan Wake. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash books in the freezer. We also do have a Facebook group now if you would like to join. And if you're a part of that group, don't forget that you do have the ability to post and start discussions if you want to and get some conversation going. 
You can email us at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. And we are on Patreon at Books in the Freezer. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya or on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that's That's with two A's or on YouTube as That's What She Read. And that's just spelled normally. And I'm Devin. You can find me on Twitter at InsomniReads. And you can also find me streaming these horror games on Twitch at Indian Insomnia. So join us next time for Books in the Freezer. Mm-hmm.